0: This is the Lapco Fitness podcast. Don't miss out on plenty more podcasts on www.lapcofitness.com. If you wish to submit any questions, also visit the same website, www.lapcofitness.com. Please enjoy this podcast. Welcome and we're to live. The Lapcoed experience. This is podcast number 6, and today we learn. We have a guest, you know, the usual guest. His name is uh, Josh Renademan. Hey, Josh, how are you doing?
1: I'm hungry. I'm doing great. I'm chowing down on some chicken wings.
0: I heard They're you uh, slept a lot today.
1: I mean, by a lot, I got eight hours of sleep. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> what? Yeah.
0: <laughs> what do you mean, eight hours? You did it, bro. Well, I got,
1: yeah, I know. It's like I should have an achievement.
0: <laughs> Ding average Seriously. sleep time achieved,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, like you know, Morgan's uh, what is it, <coughs> Monday, 39 weeks and one day, so we're full term, so she could have baby anytime, Damn. and uh, you know, so I mean, there's just uh, lots of small stuff that get done around the house. Um, you know, the dad's out there, they know maybe, <coughs> and uh. Yeah, I got off a little early yesterday, so I was able to get home, work on some articles, and, and today I'm gonna get the uh, programming stuff done that Cole's waiting on. Yeah. And uh, yeah.
0: And soon you'll become Nader Dad.
1: Yeah, soon I become Nader Dad.
0: <coughs> well, Nader Dad, we have a bunch of other children who have a lot of questions. Nader Dad
1: Junior. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we got a, a bunch of uh, questions from the community, you know, and it's awesome. our job. To answer those questions, so uh, without no, any I'll, further ado. Oh, by lists. the way, just oh, yeah.
1: because I got eight hours of sleep, doesn't mean I'm fully recovered, <laughs> but I'm feeling okay. okay. I'd like to let our friend Cody know that I'm sure he's seen the post in the lab, but he asked a question, and during the discussion, I told him, "Well, you know, I mean, obviously he wasn't right here." Um, yeah, yeah. But his, he has two questions, and one of them, you know. <laughs> said well it's not a good question and what i should have said is that the question was not formed completely i had no direction as to specifically what was being asked so it was a very hard question to answer mm-hmm. because it wasn't specific and so uh then i went into detail about what the deal was and basically he was asking about if you get the same strength benefits from weighted handstand pushups as you do a 90 degree pushup and it's doesn't really make a lot of sense because there's such incredibly different uh um movements right like what do you mean what kind of strength are we talking about because and 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 so you know what what i think he was getting at is handstand push-up stuff and the way that i would address that is that i would say well in a handstand push-up all you're using is your body weight and basically the last part of the um 90 degree push-up is a handstand push-up with just your body weight. So that's really what you're limited to in terms of overhead pressing strength gains. And then uh, with a weighted handstand push-up, you can just keep adding weight forever. So as yeah, far as yeah. you know, overhead pressing stuff and basic strength goes, the, uh, the, the weighted handstand push-up would be substantially better. Um, <coughs> the other thing um. is... That you know the ninety degree is a highly skilled movement. You're balancing. You're moving through multiple different uh, movement patterns, and so you're transitioning from basically a uh, handstand push up to a planche push up is really what you're doing. So those are your two movements, and sort of in the middle, you know, you could say that you kind of have a mid-range incline press,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: with a very small range of motion, right? And so there's three different things that we could break that down into and each of those movements individually is really all that you need to build everything for multiple reps of 90 degree pushups without wasting your time on a lot of specific progressions. And that's basically how uh, Yad built up his. And Mm -hmm. they look, they're some of the best that I've seen and it didn't take a lot of professional, you know, it it didn't take a lot of effort. And so, you know, there's not, uh, the reason that I'm mentioning all this is that, you know, It was rude of me to say it's a bad question because that just kind of carte blanche says, uh, you know, or at least the 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 listener hears, why'd you ask that, dummy? And that's not very nice. That's not the message that I want to send. Yeah. Uh, But you know, at the same time, I do want to make sure that we say, okay, when you ask a question, be real specific. Tell me what are you looking for out of the answer. You know, if you just ask, is basketball a good sport? I'm gonna. I'm just going to start leaving those questions completely alone. I'm going to say this question needs to be asked more specifically until it does. We're just moving on. And um, that's just what we'll have to do because, uh, you know, there, there's <laughs> not... Yeah, there, I mean, what do you want me yeah, to say to I, that? I, that? That no, is a it, bad question. It. That would be a bad question because it has nowhere to go. You know what I'm saying? It's just like uh, where do you want to go eat? I don't know, somewhere with warm food. Thanks, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you know no, what I we, mean? We, we try, we try our best that's, to, that, uh, to those find are the questions that we don't want. Yeah, yeah we um, try
0: our best to find out what you're actually asking, and then if we don't end up answering the question you wanted, then you know we tried. That's yeah. That's well, basically... and, and here's what
1: you got to remember: we're not live with the members. This isn't a forum podcast, right? there's only two of us and we're reading something <laughs> off of a piece of paper. And so if that piece of paper doesn't have everything that uh, we need to know what you're thinking, it's very hard to be a mind reader. And so, uh, you know, maybe this whole explanation thing is going to upset people. I'm not really sure why, but um, you know, it, it might, the, the The goal really is just to say, look, uh, I want to, I, I think that, we know what you're getting at and I would just want to point out the difference between uh, a very open ended question and a question with a pointed direction. And we really, it's, it's better for you and it's better for us to give mm-hmm. us um, very pointed questions. Like if you're, if the, like which one of these two things is going to have a um a, like is is going to be better for what? Like is some exercise going to be better for, a specific strength in a certain area or whatever and you just want to make sure that you when somebody else reads it they know exactly what you're asking and it shouldn't be a fitness person a, a, a well structured question can be even if somebody doesn't have the knowledge to answer it they can clearly see what is being asked if that makes sense
0: yeah so, basically yeah, the, the that, more that, specific that's, that's, you that's what I want the, the yeah. more specific you ask your question the more specific we can answer and so you can expect more Wide uh, quite answers. You know, more open answers. Uh, the 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 moment the the question is more open. So yeah, that's what yeah. we're getting at, basically. It ma-
1: it makes the podcast work better because then I can actually give you what you need. Exactly. You know, yeah. If I'm just picking a direction, it could go anywhere, and it might be interesting. And there's time for that, but the uh, you know, it's not going to give the person what they want. And I'm here to give you what you want. <laughs> you know, I just need to know what it is. Yeah, and uh, you know, opinion questions and things are totally different. I mean, sometimes by nature, those are opinions. Like, who do you think's the the best? Um, well, like, and even there, Fine like, sure. who, do you, who, who? Yeah, like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't spend time on YouTube, man. I barely I have time to do this. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other people have uh, opinions on that. You know, uh, I, I think they're a little bit silly, but um, they're still fun to look at. And uh, other people don't think they're silly. And so other people are probably better to answer those questions. You know, I'm All right, not, man. Best, not the best at everything.
0: Let's, uh, let's get to, to the questions All right. uh, that first we question. have. The first question, Alexander Chani. He says, for those of us who got into advanced bodyweight training, uh, out of the man- mindset that it is more applicable to athletism, athletism, athleticism, athleticism, athleticism. Athleticism. <laughs> how do you pronounce it? I can't. Then, uh, weight training. Uh, where were we misled, or is there some truth to that? So basically, you're largely saying, misled. Okay. So wait, okay, let's first define what athletes. <laughs> yeah, I have our articulation problems every now and then. Sometimes I have days where I just cannot speak properly. It, so, my wife uh, does the same thing. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. I, I think she did. <laughs> but it's you just like gotta some, have fun with it. I
1: mean, you so, know, it some is what days it is.
0: I'm like Shakespeare. Some of the days I just, I'm like, like, how did you learn to speak English?
1: <laughs> right, right. So, uh, athleticism is yes. is one of those terms that's kind of along the lines of delicious. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? It's something different for each sport, um, just like it's something different to each person eating food. Uh, we don't always agree. Now, having said that, athleticism does have some very broad limitations to how far you can take the definition. So, like, by nature, it means qualities inherent to an athlete or qualities that you would expect to see in an athlete, qualities of an athlete that make them good at their sport, right? So, if you're not defining what sports you're looking at, then we're kind of having a hard time going anywhere with it. So, there isn't really a lot of accepted definitions for athleticism but if we were going to say broadly it would mean that you move efficiently in the ways that you're trying to move and that you can be better than average at the things that require some that, that somebody needs to be good at their sport <coughs> so for example athleticism for a tennis athlete is very different than athleticism for track and field right tennis ten,
0: hey it's contagious
1: man going back to the corner covid days um uh that's for the old people listening um Mm. the so a tennis player is almost exclusively performing lateral movements and uh a movement very similar to a baseball pitch in some ways not really but kind of uh which is the overhead serve and then they're doing backhands and forehands so they're doing a lot of um those two motions right where I'm just going to scoot back for a little bit where you're basically horizontal adduction of the shoulder and pronation of the wrist and also coming through and horizontal abduction or abduction of the shoulder and supination of the wrist. Those are your two major movements in tennis with the arm and the third being the serve and so a tennis player needs those three things but one of the things that is common to almost all athletics is uh and and when i say like athletics i mean like really good athletes in general is that they have the ability to generate and maintain a very stiff core Because that allows the transfer from the upper bot, from the power generated from the legs to the arms, and vice versa, to be transferred with a minimum of loss. And it is how good punchers punch harder. It is how good hitters hit harder. There's every, you know, even with with like the golf swing, the more that you're pivoting through the hips and the less that you're pivoting through the spine the more powerful your swing is. And that's because the trunk muscles have nowhere near the ability to generate torque as the leg muscles and the shoulder girdle muscles. So all your core is supposed to do is stay super duper stiff and everything else is supposed to move around it. And if you're trying to generate your swing with your core, you're always going to be weaker and not hit as far, not have the power in your shots that you really should have. And that's something that people don't know. So that would be that would be one of the big ones. Everything else that, that's that's one of the few that's truly common between all sports, more or less. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Everything
1: else is uh, is is uh, a little bit more difficult to get specific on. As far as the question for bodyweight athletes, you know, I'm going to go with the common definition of field sports in bodyweight stuff you are never going to develop the kind of uh, lower body hip girdle calf uh, power and strength that you can develop with weights ever. So not weight training puts you at an inherent disadvantage. Uh, As far as upper body stuff goes it really depends on what you're trying to do Um, for certain things, there's still a little bit of a disadvantage, but I think that there's a lot more adaptability when it comes to the body weight stuff. The big limitation is that it's a lot harder for bigger athletes to do that stuff safely and to scale it effectively.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it's, it's a little bit more applicable to smaller athletes. The, the, uh, the big problem is that, uh, a fair number of sports, especially like football, you really do need the weights because, What you are doing is you have a big weight in front of you, which is a player, and then you have a big weight underneath you, which is the earth. And you are trying to transfer, you're trying to push against both those things at the same time, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When you're trying to move around and hitting somebody and things like that, especially for linemen. So, like, if a lineman's not doing incline press, then they are just, they're just not on point. There's other things they need to be doing but that needs to be in there and you know it's because when they come up that's the incline press you're, you're getting up under the pads and like blocking somebody dude that's yeah, an incline sense. press yeah. every punch is an incline press how do you do that well with body weight you can it's just it's a, it requires a huge amount of coordination and uh, it requires a lot of strength you're limited on the range of motion unless you get parallettes and then you can get so far down that you know if you're if you're not very good at sort of self-regulating your efforts you're going to fall on your face a lot I mean there's a lot of disadvantages to trying to do it that way and it doesn't mean it can't be successful it just means that it's a lot harder it's harder to scale and it's harder to sort of bring yourself along in a controlled safe fashion it can be done it it's just more challenging Does that make sense? makes so sense so I wouldn't yeah so I mean the the yeah that that's really uh that's it the, that's the thing yeah. The only the only thing where for lower body where there is an advantage for doing a uh, body weight thing is Nordic curls, uh, which uh, some people also know as natural leg curls. Um, they're so hard. Yeah. So it's an e- it's an eccentric oriented movement, and that's really the part that's most beneficial to it, and it does help prevent hamstring tears. Um, that is that's being validated more and more. And Strength and Conditioning Research, that was a big thing in 2018. There was a lot written on that, and a couple of years prior. But um, really, 2018 was a big one for Nordic curls. So, I think Ido Portal used to call them hair op curls. I don't know why. Everybody seems Actually, to find it.
0: Actually, now that you mention him, the next question is about Ido Portal. Okay. So, might as that's well... You know, <laughs> that's, that's really yeah. funny. Yeah, we might as well just talk about him now. For people
1: who don't know, I never know what questions are coming. Yad's the only one who knows.
0: I'm the only one <laughs> and I, I don't even prepare. I just write them down. I'm like, Oh, this is a question. So yeah. we're both like unprepared. I just saw yeah. idle portal right there. Like let's write right on my screen. So, so this question is from Christian Niguera. He says, what is your view uh, of exercises, which work the joints at odd movements, such as popularized my idle portals, improper alignment video. Also some of summer's mobility work, etc. Is it useful at all?
1: In limited circumstances, Um, that was a big thing in the late 2000s, like from 2009 to 2013. There was a period of time where people were in love with that. One of the things that I would really uh, keep in mind is that a lot of this stuff, time will tell, right? And when when you see these things kind of disappear, and then they're gone for a couple of years, and then some new white guy comes up, uh, doing all the same stuff that Ito used to do, uh, which is starting to happen now. It's it's just a it's a marketing thing. Um, it looks cool. Uh, Ito learned it a lot of it from Coach Sommer. Um, the the you know I've run across a fair bit of it actually in um, Capoeira. so oh, yeah. he may have also picked some stuff up there. Um, mm-hmm. But the, uh, so, so I don't know if that's the first place he saw it or what. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Ida was one of the first people to really bring it out into the public and talk no, wait, a lot for, about uh, it. By the way, um, for, for,
0: the, for the people who don't know what we're talking about, it's basically training
1: in... Um, it's like walking on the side of your ankles, right? Yeah, so that would that be one of the examples. So yeah, it, like, yeah.
0: like, basically things that could, in, like ranges, ranges of emotion that could possibly injure you he wants you he wants you to sh- be strengthened in those positions yeah there's yeah, some inherent
1: to- disadvantages um so we're going to compare two things here one is strengthening the muscles that prevent you from going into those ranges of motion and the other is stretching and then loading the stretches because if you really want to be honest that's all that it is yeah um to then walk around in an alignment that would often result in a twisted ankle, right? Which is really the common term for a uh, low-grade ligamentous tear of the ankle, usually on the outside of it. So, uh, the problem with doing a lot of that stuff is that it can make it easier to roll when you don't mean to roll. Um, So... The people that it's really good for are martial artists, because especially people who use the sidekick. Because if you can turn your ankle like that and hit somebody with what we call the blade of the heel, which is not a real thing, but it's 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 uh, essentially the um, outside of the calcaneus, uh, you're concentrating a high amount of force in a small area, which creates huge pressure, which makes it easy to knock people out and break their wrists. <coughs> So that's, that's, that's highly desirable. It's something that really <laughs> only gets developed by good karate and taekwondo people, more so karate, because taekwondo tends to use more hook kicks um, and uh, tricky roundhouses. You know, everybody's got things that they kind of specialize in. So I'm not saying they don't use those real nice sidekicks, but um, there, there's some differences in preference that people use, because that one is used to slip under the uh, chin and crush the thyroid cartilage and kill you so the um and it there's people who are going to say oh nobody can do that man i used to don't get me started but <laughs> yeah well you know there's some things that people don't realize like they, they think certain things are not practical and it's like well by itself if you just throw it at somebody no it's not practical but when you're throwing like jab jab, cross and then you slip throw a body punch and then all of a sudden your heel comes right up under their jaw it's extremely practical. So it's just a question of whether you're a good fighter or not. Um, As far as the question goes, I think for the ankle stuff, it's a little bit less controversial, to be honest with you. Um, It's a little more of a uh, difficult area to comment on in the knees. Um, If you already Uh have... Yeah, yeah, so like the the inside and the outside squats, which if you search those, you'll, you'll see things... What these are is extreme valgus and varus tension, which means that the knee's bowing out and the knee's buckling in, and that you sort of squat down a little and then eventually sort of go all the way down and all the way up. Now, I used to be able to do this without a problem. Uh, I've, I've got damaged cartilage, um, the meniscus, in my right knee, so I don't mess with any of that stuff anymore. Um, I, don't, I, I think that it's such a fringe thing. Um, I don't think that in any way... It is necessary or hugely protective, but it can be a lot of fun, and um, I do think that it could offer some protective value because you are basically temporarily putting stress on the ligaments, and then you spend the rest of the day not putting stress on them, so you've stimulated them to grow thicker. Whether that actually happens or not, we would have to have serial MRIs done over, um, you know, long periods of time with consistent training to demonstrate that because it could, it's possible that it, it, it could, uh, thicken those ligaments over a number of months or years and, um, make you a little more injury resistant. So I think that if you're healthy, then they're fine. Um, you know, as long as you take it slow and are careful and you don't do too much, Mm -hmm. you know, two, three times a week is really, All that should be done there Um, some people will do more it causes some people problems Uh, some people it doesn't cause problems you know so there's a lot of your mileage may vary in that answer and I know we kind of went over a few different areas but um, that is that's kind of the long and the short of it Mm -hmm. you know is is that uh, no it's not something that should be very high on your list um, yes, it could potentially cause problems, but if you approach it intelligently and have a good time, you uh, probably will not have problems. Now, what I was mentioning as a comparison is like instead of walking on the side of your ankle, like I'm scooting back in my chair now and I just lifting my foot up. So like instead of walking on the side of my ankle here, what if I was just doing strengthening for those muscles, right? You are... Not going to sprain your ankle, I've actually taken gymnasts who' this one kid he was i think eight or nine at the time, and um <coughs> he's my favorite example. He had such heavily taped ankles and he hurt and he was a good kid too he was he was he was really good a really nice kid, very good tumbler uh, he was pretty strong, honestly, and his mom was super sweet and so um the uh one day, you know, we were just talking and showing some stuff, and they were unwrapping his ankles, and I was just like, why is your, like, what's going on? And so they told me, and you know, he just has terrible ankles, and I said, well, let me show you something. And so I showed them how to use some resistance bands to properly strengthen this, and there's a way that you do a slip around the um, ankle there, <coughs> and so so that you can get the the, the proper uh, torque across the joint, so that you can actually strengthen the muscles that you want, and I saw him a couple months later uh, because the gymnastics club didn't always go to the same gym, Uh, you know, in terms, like this is when I was messing around with um, uh, the Georgia tech gymnastics team and like the club, you know, like the um, intramural, whatever, I don't know. And um, so we saw him a couple months later and his mom was just super excited you know, it's like, he's, you know, we don't have to tape his ankles anymore. His ankles don't hurt. And he was better. He was, he was tumbling higher. He was feeling great. And, uh, it just kept continuing like that. And so he didn't need more motion. What he needed was more stability. And I would always, I would always caution you that when you go into things like this, you've got to have the stability. And one of the things that a lot of these people don't always, you know, tell you is, and and they sometimes they don't realize themselves is that you know once you're already stable you can really approach a lot of mobility stuff safely that would be a bad idea if you're just going for pure range of motion you yeah. know you have to have strength and control in it so anyways that's a uh, that's a long answer for that yeah but I it's it's also an unusual topic and I wanted to kind of cover a lot of different things there and give an example. And sort of show a preview of things that down the line we'll be teaching. It's just a question of what's most important, and that's just not at the top of the list.
0: All right, next question by Nicholas Masman. Uh, he, he asks, "What are your thoughts on the minimum ef- minimum effective volume, maximum recoverable volume, uh, as per Mike Isortel, and moving from one to the other in a cycle? The mass cycles seem to fit these concepts quite well." He's talking about our mass cycles.
1: Right. Well. I think that uh, Mike Israetel is responsible for one of the most uh, important sets of vocabulary in effective strength and conditioning. He's a very, very smart man. He's obviously a beast. He's put his time in, you know, in the lab, in business, and in the gym. And, uh, you know, one of the things that even like he'll tell you, you know, if you listen to a lot of his stuff, I'm a big fan and, you know... I've said a lot of this stuff myself over the years but he's developed a much more specific vocabulary that I use because I think that it's a good vocabulary. <sighs> there are a few terms that I use that make it a little more specific but um you know it's like 99% similar and the it's a good thing. So as far as moving from Minimum effective to maximum recoverable you don't want to do that. What you want to do is you want to be moving from minimum effective to maximum adaptive. there's a big difference maximum adaptive so there's I and mean, we've shown this in diagrams before yeah in the
0: um, last I think two podcasts ago too
1: yeah the so the if the maximum recoverable volume is all the way on the right and the minimum effective volume is all the way on the left and then The maximum recoverable volume means that you are literally at your limit. That's not what's making you grow the most. That is literally the limit of what your body is capable of recovering from without breaking down. And that means that you're doing so much damage that your resources are basically all going into damage control and damage repair. And not very much is left over for growth. So you can probably imagine that means you're not going to grow as well as if you had dialed it back just a little bit to stay in a zone just to the left around like, you know, whatever, 80, 90% of that uh, maximum recoverable. And that usually is where, and somebody's going to quote me on those percentages, they're just for visual purposes. It's different for everybody. And it's different during your training career. And um, so when, when you get a little bit over, so instead of being like all the way over here, you're sort of in this you know, 70 80 90% range of your maximum recoverable volume compared to the uh, minimum effective. Mm-hmm. That's, that's usually your maximum adaptive volume. That's where you need to be to get the best results from your training. And what happens is that over time, especially in more experienced athletes who have several years of training under their belt, there does seem to be where even when you stay there, the response kind of slows down a little bit and that's where you kind of have to back off and go to a lower volume or even take a couple of weeks off once a year and just let your body forget about what it feels like to be trained. And then you come back and it's very sensitive again. And you recover everything that you lost within like the first two weeks, three weeks, and then you <coughs> tend to make better progress for a little while. And then eventually you're going to you're gonna go through your cycles and you're going to, vary the volume up and down so that your body has a chance to kind of hit the uh ideal parameters quite a bit and eventually we have to do the same thing again and the reason that you can't just target the maximum adaptive volume directly is that we don't have a good way of measuring what it is what mike often does from what i've seen uh, and he would have to comment on this to really make it like you know official or whatever but he he goes through waves that he knows are going to go a little bit past maximum adaptive because you can't we don't have a good way to hit it right on the bullseye. But we know that if we start a little bit low and go a little bit high, we're going to spend a good bit of our time right where we want to be. And the rest of it isn't that far off. And we're not going past the point of return. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying is that it, it means that we are we're able to get everything in a good place, where we know we're getting good training. Okay. And that, that, that's why you'll, you'll see a lot of, uh, really everybody who has good programming is going to have a variation of these buildups and volume and then resets. Um, what we do is we take things a little bit slower so that it gives us more time in that uh, maximum adaptive area. And it makes it harder to immediately push past, uh, you know, those are kind of what I call flavor options. Uh, all the good, all the right things are there. I just take my own spin on how to stay there and how to stay there longer. Um, and I think that's why so many of our people have such excellent results. Um, but I, I, you know, How important is that? It's a great question. We don't have good research to tell us. I just know that it's an easy way to progress the way that we do it. It doesn't take a lot of energy. It doesn't, you know, compared to other things, um, there's a lot of different ways to get those volume waves. I just go for the one that creates the least fatigue while retaining the results, Um, you know? Yeah. But All yeah, right, man. The, the, the the short answer is that it's the 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 vocab is great. I love Doctor Israel's work. He's a super cool guy. He's a dope dude. He, I met yeah, him like, like uh, Yod, this weekend. Yeah, Yad and Cole got a chance to go over and attend one of their seminars. He's just and, as tall as me, uh, but
0: then he's like thirty five kilo more lean oh, he's mass. So, he's huge. Uh, and the the weird thing is, his his wrists and ankles are like same size as me. So and I have very <clears> very thin wrists and ankles. I was like. How do you pack so much muscle? You're such a beast.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's the juice. And, yeah. uh, the, you know, he doesn't make any secrets about that. And No, um, still, it's
0: it's still impressive.
1: Well, no, no. And that's the thing, though. It's not just the juice. It's the work. The, the, the juice just lets you recover from the work. Yeah. That's the thing. And that, that's what people don't understand, is that these guys who are, you know, taking it as far as they can go by using, you know, the super supplements um steroids um you know they're working harder than all the rest of us they can they can recover from that they are you know what i'm saying like the yeah. ones that are successful and so uh you know i'm i don't personally think that it's you know it's not my favorite you know direction to say people should go cuz i think that there is a lot of additional health risks and realistically it does, it's not The risk reward isn't there, but for some people it is, and some people don't care. And honestly, who gives a shit? It's the, it's, uh, you know, his body is a testament to years and years and years of his iron will and good science. And, um, he brings a lot of people to great places that don't use any of that stuff. And that's, that's the most important thing. You know, it's easy to find reasons to shit on people, but you should be looking for whether or not they are able to get other people where those people want to go. And if those people are like you, then you should probably be listening.
0: All right, man. Next question by Demetris Manouris. He says, thank you for answering my forearm splint question on podcast four. I have been following the advice for the ulnar deviations, compression and extensor strengthening, and it has helped immensely. Once their injury is fully healed, how can I go back to training planche without the fear of aggravating it again. Before putting a planche on hold for rehab, I could hold a travel planche for five seconds. So, well, yeah. You want to
1: tackle that? Yeah, I mean, first thing is use wrist wraps. Yes. I don't, I don't know why people are so resistant to that. It's a pride thing. I used to be one of those people. Well, um, bruh,
0: aren't your wrists going to get weak? No. Br- br- yeah. Bruh.
1: <laughs> That's always the thing. It's like the knee wrap thing too, man. You're just fucking cheating, man. Like, bro, go pull on that knee wrap. It doesn't lift very much weight. And no, just- here's the thing. Even if it adds 12 extra pounds to the bar, if I make 50 pounds of squat gains over the next uh three months, you know, not saying I would, but just saying if, what if, right? Six months. That knee wrap didn't get stronger, dude. You did. Come on. Put that shit to rest. True, um, right. You know what I mean? And, and it's so, a tool.
0: People forget it's a tool.
1: Yeah. and, and here's, here's the, the way that you use the wrist wraps is that some people are always going to have problems. Not everybody was made to just be a beast without wraps. That's why humans made shoes, man. It's not weak to wear shoes. It's smart to wear, <laughs> wear shoes. That's why I'll they wear stuck shoes around. We're talking about. Yeah, go get some trench <laughs> rot. See how you do. Go walk down medieval streets barefoot. Okay? People put animal skins <laughs> on their feet. For a reason, um, yep. the Native Americans wore them for a reason. they were about as natural as you could get, and one of the natural things they did was put extra skin on their feet um, and that's that's just important to understand. you know what I mean is that it's a tool, like you said, it's an extra support device, and as you it, as you move forward through the months, you can always loosen it up a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't need to be on or off. It can be on like, you know, hundred percent tightness and then ninety five percent tightness and then ninety and then eighty-five. And you'll find you may find a point where below it you just start having problems. So just use the wrap.
0: It's yeah, crazy. Use, use the wrap, keep doing the exercises.
1: Yeah, do you want to be strong or not? You know? Yeah. That's kind of what it comes down to. And if you want to be strong, you use the tools that let you train.
0: That's it. Yeah, I, I use it. Uh, so, when, when I'm doing a, like a skill cycle or something, I, I tend to use wrist wraps a lot. And then every now and then I would not use them, but not like consciously. I would just forget them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and I, during a uh, cycle where my wrists are less affected, you well, know, I don't wear them as much because I, my wrists are constantly recovered. So, they're feeling great. But uh, most of the time, I'm using them because I just don't feel like aggravating them for no reason
1: exactly it's just self-preservation
0: yeah just but keep doing your wrist strengthening exercises the the ulnar deviations compressions and extensor strengthening strengthening and stuff just keep doing that because it helps a lot and it'll keep helping you exactly Uh, so just keep doing that next question gonzalo martins um so i i read this question but i couldn't really make sense of it maybe you can What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts about using crossover symmetry? Has a shoulder mobility routine after the workouts? I I think there's a typo in there. I think yeah, I think there's maybe a typo in there. And let me see. Here's the thing: if you're using a
1: trade name, you shouldn't expect someone else to know what it is just because. Oh, you you mean crossover?
0: Yeah, okay. I don't know that. No. So maybe a machine. Um. Yeah. Maybe I'm just
1: gonna I'm just gonna do a Google search. I mean, I have a feeling it's gonna be like one of the um, you know, free motion type trainers. Let's see. Uh it's Cross oh, see what over it symmetry. Wait, where am I typing? I was just <laughs> and typing I think, and I don't know where the letter Oh right, because I unplugged it. And I think the.
0: I know what he what he asks. I think I understand his question. It's like a resistant band with uh but with uh with an uh handle on it. That thing.
1: Oh, it's a band.
0: Yeah, it's like a band, and then he the exercise they use is basically a lot of, you know, shoulder, uh, flexion and, uh, I'm just like, it's, yeah, it's a cable machine except it's bands. Yes, basically. And he's asked, so what he's asking is basically what are your thoughts on that and shoulder mobility?
1: Well, I don't understand the question. Like the tools.
0: Yeah. Can you use that tool for shoulder mobility? I think is what he's asking after the workouts, so he's asking okay let's say you've done I a mean, work you want
1: to i i have trouble understanding that question is it, a f-
0: is it effective to build mobility in your shoulders doing i don't know a bunch i of-
1: don't know what you're doing I, I can't answer that wait what do you mean is it effective it's a band if you use oh, you it, can't right, see me i'm like trying to
0: <laughs> i don't have a webcam so josh can't see me but um i looked up a bunch of exercises uh it's it's called it's a method apparently. It's just like yeah, Here, I, I don't know. I
1: mean, I I don't know what they're doing. I don't I don't have time to <coughs> you know. Can you see
0: my screen? <clears throat>
1: I don't know, hang on.
0: God damn. Well, basically it looks like people are like Yeah,
1: it's the same thing that I'm looking at. They're just shoulder exercises. Yeah. It's more of a strengthening thing, you know? That, so here's the thing. It's very similar to what uh, Ito was doing with his band stuff, what Dylan Zreich was doing with his band stuff, what Yuri teaches with his band. They're all the same, basically. Um, are there band routines that can help with mobility? Sure. Um, but really, the you know... <coughs> I, I have to know what somebody's trying to do. I just I'm not in the habit of giving yes or no answers to things mm-hmm. when I don't have context because then it's an easy way to say, "Look at that dumbass Naderman. He said that was good. It's fucking garbage," you know. Um, and and so it becomes a just easy personal attack stuff. Um, I think about that. It also I just it's just I would never. I don't know. I I just don't. You know, when when you're in a position to where people take what you say seriously, you owe them a lot of discretion. You try and not give a yes or no answer when it's really not appropriate. Um, I would have to sit here and look at what their, you know, what their quote unquote routines are. I mean, there's no answer for this. If you're, yeah. it's just it's just a band with a handle. It looks cool. It's just a band. So it's no different than any other band you've ever seen in your life. What's really neat no, about it's, it, it is that you can a, strap a it onto things.
0: It's definitely a method. So they have this routine. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a method. Um, it's, a, it's, it's called a 30-day shoulder fix thing.
1: And, uh, what they, and what they do is they
0: use the bands uh, to do a lot of uh, shoulder flexion rotator. and rotator cuff exercises. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm uh it's
0: (laughs) a lot of reverse fly stuff like that
1: here's the advantage and they're they're good
0: exercises
1: yeah that's what i'm saying is that like it i I don't know what to tell you here if you're doing a good (coughs) set of exercises with the tool then it's gonna help you but the thing is is that a lot of these exercises are easy to do wrong as well and it can reinforce your problems instead of fixing them so You know, you you just got to you got to focus on really, really working on um, moving well, because these are no different than like leaning over a bench and doing like the YTIs, the Ws, all these different, you know, quote unquote, scapular and rotator stuff. There's just a different tool to do that exercise while you're standing up. And sometimes that helps people, you know, not everybody responds to the same orientation the same way. And the, the the bottom line is that I I love tools like this, and the fact that it's portable—you can clip it on to all kinds of different things—I yeah, think is cool. wonderful. But you can do the same thing with a lot of cable machines and Forward resistant and, bands. Well, yeah, and just regular resistance bands. You don't need this particular tool, just like all the uh, Lifeline Band products at John Hines. Uh, cells which are super high quality, um, the you know all of these things are really the same. And oh, it's funny. I'm looking. I was like, yeah, you know, what I would do is just clip it to my um power rack, and that's exactly what they're doing further down on the page. It's really yep. funny. Yeah. Um. It's so yeah. I mean, I think stuff like that is great. Uh. It's just make sure that you're doing the programs right. Like we haven't had time <coughs> to you know put all the stuff together it's yeah so i i think that while you're waiting to see what you know we prefer i think finding anything like this uh that you're able to do correctly if you like it is is great um you know there are a lot of band routines you're going to find that a lot of them are all the same and uh some of the stuff that they're doing i'm already seeing is very similar to the things we have you do in the finishers and um You know, there are many, many different ways to get what you need. And if this is one that you really like, then I think that you should use it. And if it causes problems, you should do something else. If it helps, you should keep doing it. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah, let's move on to the next question.
1: And in the future, when people ask stuff like that, I would like to say, you know, the crossover symmetry product or like at crossoversymmetry.com, like give me some direction as to where you're going so that I don't spend the first, you know, three <laughs> minutes or five minutes or whatever doing Google searches. Help me get where I need to go so that I can give you answers because then Yad can also look at stuff first, send me the web page. You know what I'm saying? It'll streamline a lot of this.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right, Cause I mean, I'm, I'm all about product reviews. I'm just, but, but I can't, I'm not, you're not going to get something good on the fly because I think that's irresponsible. It would me It would be me making a snap judgment, and I think that, that you should rip me apart for doing something like that because it would not be in your best interest.
0: All right, man. Next question by Elijah Hunsaker. Uh, this is a long question. It's a paragraph, and it's directly to you. I understand okay. Josh has a lot of respect for Dr. Stuart McGill, which is well-deserved because he has done great things in the field of spinal research. However, and he's talking about uh, McGill, I find he tends to pigeonhole himself into a purely biomechanical model of pain, which doesn't mesh with our current understanding of pain in the biopsychosocial model we have developed. What is your take on the role of biomechanics and its relation to pain, and how would you translate that to a clinical practice or a coaching practice?
1: This per- so, that so, yeah, sounds a lot fancier than it is. Um,
0: so, so there's two like sides. Of- I'm, I'm
1: going to break this. I'm going to break this down into something <laughs> real simple. When you look at pain, there are two. There are. It's it's just communication. That's all it is. So there's two parts to communication. There's the message that's sent, and then there's what it means to the listener. The message <laughs> is signals from the tissue to the brain. The yeah. listener is the brain. That's it. I just want to let that sit for a second. That is all it is. Now that listening part's very complex. It's about what you pay attention to. There's, you know, how what what kind of subtypes of receptors were you born with? There are people who are just less sensitive to pain. I'm one of them. There are people who are very sensitive to certain types of sensation and not others okay there's a lot of variation uh there's also a lot of variation uh just based purely on you know biopsychosocial stuff which really started in world war ii where they found that people who lost legs saving their friends were found to be in much less pain and much less depression and things like that than people who lost their legs in like a training accident that benefited nobody. So the meaning behind things also helps. So like if you you know won the Super Bowl and broke your ankle, it's going to hurt a lot less than if you broke your ankle because you were talking to your daughter and slipped off the curb. Um but it still hurts. <coughs> the pain is still there. Now you got to understand that what McGill does is more complex than it seems because you know, with this whole biopsychosocial thing, as soon as you take control and buy into a method and start working on it, you've gained control over the situation, and that makes you feel better. That makes you hurt less. So anything that you do is a part of that. Now, the, uh, you know, his job is to make sure that your body tissues can heal and that you can learn to keep yourself in a range of motion. That does not further aggravate the injuries that you have. And that's why the athletes that he works with are able to go back to competition and set new world records when we know that they're still injured. You know what I'm saying? Because he has basically taught them how to stabilize their injuries, how to progressively accept motion that they need for their sport, right? And that's, that's more than just bottom-up signaling. That's not just altering the message. It is altering the listener. It is allowing your body to ignore louder and louder signals, little by little. So there's more going on than you think that there is. Uh, What you're really asking, (laughs) this biopsychosocial stuff, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is about more chronic things, where we know that the tissue has probably had enough time to recover honestly and yet this person still has pain but they think about it a lot and so that that's a complex area we there are people who have more patience than me for working with stuff like that um i'm not discounting its importance but this is an academic rabbit hole that you could spend the rest of your life in and die unsatisfied in 100 years um So the bottom line is that, you know, your beliefs about pain matter, Uh, your understanding of your injury matters, your belief about how permanent or fixable it is and how that's going to impact your life and what it means to you. All of that matters. The tissue also matters. Okay. So everything's coming together. And you know, with the spine, if you are not stabilizing the tissues, then you are putting yourself at risk of permanent nerve damage. Does that make sense? Makes so sense. especially with spinal injuries, you have got to take the biomechanical stuff in the forefront um, and make sure that that's taken care of. Is it going to be your whole answer? Probably not. Um, but you know, he's doing more than that. The whole recovery process is about teaching you that it's okay to move again and that, you no, know, it's not the end of the world. If you are a little uncomfortable on a training day, just ask yourself, am I maintaining my position? Am I doing well? Okay, then it's going to be fine. It's probably going to be gone tomorrow. And you know what? It almost always is. And so that's, that's uh, you'll see things like that in his interactions with his athletes. That's, that's not something that you can put into a book very well when you're also trying to address the biomechanical stuff, because that's personal coaching. It has to be tailored to the individual. It's a lot of back and forth. And yeah. so, uh, that's really a totally separate area and a totally, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work super well, I don't think to, um, to try and do both at the same time in the same video. Cause people get confused, you know, when you're advanced <laughs> enough and you really get it, that's one thing when you're the patient and somebody's doing this to you in the moment, that's one thing, right? Those two scenarios, you can throw them together. But when you're trying to learn and understand and make sense of things for the first time doing them all together you need to separate them it's kind of like learning math and english at the same time you shouldn't try and do them all in the same minute you know you have one class in the morning and then one <coughs> class at lunch and not the same thing in both classes math for an hour english for an hour something like that um and you know obviously, you know there, there's progressions, all that, but the the idea here is basically that um, McGill is about the injury recovery. If you have additional factors to your pain, which not everybody has, that's the thing, is like this whole biopsychosocial camp assumes that everybody has these issues, and they don't. Um, Just like people who are pure biomechanists assume that everybody has biomechanical issues, uh, and they don't. And we know that. If anything, we've known for a very long time, and it's very freely acknowledged that pain often has nothing to do with uh, true tissue deformity. Okay? It's a signaling thing, and that signaling is usually more in the uh, brain than it is in the afferent nerves sending the message. It's interpretation. And so, and, and again, that's more of a chronic issue or an aggravation of a chronic issue right it's it's when you have an acute injury that stuff doesn't work so well because the um you know when like when your hand is in the fire let me tell you something until those nerves get burned off you're gonna feel it and it's gonna hurt and I don't care what anybody tells you and I don't care what you tell yourself you can tolerate it but it still hurts right totally different issue so that's 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 what I have to say with that um Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. He's not pigeonholing himself. He is, you know. It's that's a common. There's a lot of criticisms of him because people love to look for things to, um, you know, be critical about. Anytime somebody is successful, it it triggers something in in people that make us. And I'm you know I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. You know, I'm not trying to say I'm immune. I recognize this. Is that we we all do this. And it's a part of our learning process, and some of it, you know, especially when you haven't accomplished much, uh, it's a uh, self-defensive thing to try and maintain your place. I'm not saying that's what the asker is doing. I'm just saying in terms of human behavior, that's a big one. Yeah. people see something, it threatens them inside. They don't recognize it, but it does. And so they have to attack it. Otherwise, it makes them feel inferior. And, um, you know, it's just it's good to it's good to look out for things. I mean, I, I noticed that in myself. Uh, I'm just a person. I'm just a dude, and uh, I actively try and cut that uh, thought those thought patterns out because I don't think that they help me. Um, you know, and it also they're are my warnings saying, hey, you've got more to learn in this area, and or you're falling behind or something, and it triggers me, and then I have to go learn, and then I'm better again, um, as opposed to trying to tear something down and. And, and not looking for more. And I don't think that that's what this question or, or the person asking is doing. Yeah, um, I just think that... All right, man. They don't, yeah, they, they've never worked with a real high-level person uh, in, those, in those areas. And when you're, you're doing that, they, they, they cover everything. It's just that what he's famous for is the biomechanics.
0: All right, let's move on to the next question because we got like four or five more. Um, this next question is from Janne Mekinimi. Uh my mm-hmm. gym has some strongman uh, strongman equipment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, farmer handles, yokes, sleds, stuff like that. Uh how how could I incorporate incorporate these things to my training and how c- could I potentially replace some of the leg work with these? He's not really aiming for any competition, he just likes doing them more.
1: Yeah, I love that stuff, okay? Um it's about how much training time you have. I would uh, what I would do is I would use those things as assistance exercises seriously um that's one of the things they're best for and and one of the nice things about a lot of strongman stuff like the atlas stones and carrying the africa rock and a lot of odd stuff is that they if you notice if you look at the events they're mostly endurance events they're very even though it's strongman it's not one rep maxes you know they're even like with the power stuff like throwing the barrels over like a 14 foot pole or whatever um you How many of those do you have to throw a lot right? so uh, I just point that out so to kind of explain why I really like stuff like that as assistance exercises. It's a lot of stabilization for the core um the The biggest thing that I would say <clears throat> is what that, happened to
0: your voice,
1: man. <laughs> You know, people don't realize that I spend 14 hours of my day talking to nurses and really, really Holy sick people crap. who are dying of cancer. So, uh,
0: <laughs> that was weird.
1: That's, that's, it, it happens. You know, <coughs> like I said, I, I am fatigued and strained in more ways than two. Uh, RIP. Also, my coffee's cold and my chicken's cold, and that's probably congealing some of the mucus in the back of my throat. Yeah. yeah. Also, not helping. Um, The uh, I forgot what the question was. Sorry. Well, you
0: basically answered it. You just basically saying use them as accessory work. That's yeah. how you would incorporate these things to your. Training. Yeah, the
1: big thing with the so with the yokes, especially overhead yoke carries. God, I love those. I, I think that they are one of the most under. In fact, the 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 one guy I'm helping with, uh, you know, on monthly consults is a uh, hand balancing base, and we're moving towards doing stuff like that because there is uh, a huge amount of value. Do I think it's fundamental? No, Um but. If you can, if the equipment's available, um, you know, if you have particular weaknesses in certain areas, if you're a guy like that who needs to hold somebody overhead for a long period of time, these things are awesome. Awesome. And they belong in the accessory uh, area.
0: All right, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this next question is by Abdul Ghani Mamon. And he asks, what are good ways to improve work capacity? For example, not needing three to five minutes rest time between sets of pull-ups, bench press, rows, squat, etc. to fully recover. I want to get to the point where I can rest 45 to 60 seconds to fully recover from a set and not miss reps in the next set. Right now, I love it, it takes I me... I love it. Yeah, right now, it takes me about eight minutes to recover from a set of pull-ups, and even then, I miss a couple of reps in the next set.
1: Well, All maybe right, so doing too things. much
0: for that one. Yeah, well, you, the you first go.
1: thing is that what you want are robot arms and robot legs. That's your only solution. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. When you're working heavy and you're working close to your volume limit, you are depleting the creatine phosphate system and you're building up a lot of heat and you're building up a lot of intracellular metabolites from glucose metabolism. Those three things take time. All by itself, the creatine system takes three to five minutes to be fully recharged. It really takes five, sometimes it takes longer. Kind of depends on where you're at in the workout, how strong you are, and how far you pushed. Um, so, and the heat buildup is also a thing. You're going to get fatigued when you overheat. Um, so some of it could be environmental. Some of it could be poor hydration. Um, one of the things that actually does help though is just chewing on one or two jelly beans. It's just a variation I did before I knew about carb rinsing. Uh, I still think it's, uh, the, one of the best ways to go. Carbohydrates in your mouth, um, increase peak power and they reduce perceived fatigue and just in general, especially as the workouts go on, um, they make things work better and it has absolutely nothing to do with your blood sugar or sparing glycogen or anything. It's a purely neurological phenomenon and it's fascinating and we're still learning about it. Um, I picked it up from an old pro bodybuilder in like a very old issue of some crap or other muscle mag when i was in the navy and it was a little sidebar like page 70 or something and it just was this you know i think it was derek james and he just said you know i used to just have like a couple skittles in my workout and so i tried that but the skittles had too much acid for me like it would make my stomach upset after a couple of sets so i tried jelly beans and they were magic all of a sudden two three hour workouts didn't suck anymore. And I've used that since. I've always liked that. I've talked about it a lot. So that's one strategy. Um, The other is that, you know, when you're working on strength, you're always going to need, there is no way, there is no, I just, I I could say this all day long in every language. Um, There is no way to prevent long rest periods. However, If you want shorter rest periods in a mass cycle it just means that you are gonna do one of two things you're either going to reduce the weight that you're using or you're going to continually reduce the weight between sets essentially doing ladders of weight right so you might be doing 10 reps of wearing 30 kilos and then 10 reps of wearing 15 kilos and then 10 reps of wearing 5 kilos and like each time you have your, your rest period and you say, I want to do 60 pull-ups this workout. And so you just keep reducing the weight and your last 10 might be on an assistance machine. You just make sure that, you know, on each of those sets, you're tracking your reps and you do the rest pause thing that we do to add a rep. And that really takes care of a lot. Um, those are two strategies, but you're not, you, you're still human. You're always going to be human. And some people are not blessed with super fast recovery. Those same people are usually blessed with unusual amounts of fast twitch muscle. Not always, but often. Um, so I don't know you. I haven't trained you. I don't know what you do. Uh, it's very hard for me to be specific, but those are the, to recap, jelly beans, staying hydrated, having ice water, working out in a cool environment, um, and, you know, during mass cycles using a drop set technique or kind of a stair step ladder to where the second set is lighter than the first set, as long as you're making sure that the majority of your work is in that hypertrophy zone, like 60% one rep max or higher, you're going to be fine. You know what I'm saying? So that's, uh, that's the deal. And you may also just say, you know what? Doesn't matter. I've got a total number of reps I'm doing. That's it. Right? Like if I have five plus two for five sets, that's five times five, 25, plus two times five, 10, 35 total reps this week for, for my workout, right? Get those 35 reps. If you start doing two reps and then rest 45 seconds and then two more and you just do that forever, whatever. Um, that's, you know, you're, you're hitting your goals, you're, you're exposing your muscle to the, to the stimulus that sends the signal. And that's that's what it takes. So there's a lot of different ways to get there. Um, What you're asking for is not necessarily realistic the way that you're asking for it. So you would you know, you'd have to change the way that you approach your workouts. And, you know, again, there's a lot of the stuff that's coming. It's probably not going to come this year because it is. uh, It's going to it takes time to set up the framework for all of that. And there's other things that need to be finished first.
0: All right. Moving on to the next question uh by John Bjorn Bjornard Kaser, He says, "Hello beautiful people." Well, stop it. Uh he says, uh, he "I want
1: screen. He must be listening to audio only. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably this is one of our audio listeners. Uh I wonder how much I should elevate the scapula when I practice the handstand. I heard that full elevation uh I have near full elevation was the but Damn. I have near full elevation, but does that mean maximum contraction of the upper traps with a Z? Z, Or that I should be able to hold that maximum position? Best regards from Norway.
1: You should just be stable. Those are things that people really focus on that I think are not super important. Um, You need to have a comfortable shoulder position. That you are able to hold no matter how elevated or depressed you are those same muscles are working it's just a different position and if you feel better pushing really really hard that's great do it if you are more so you're, you're always going to have some elevation like that um a lot of people screw their shoulders up trying to do handstands in a depressed position um it's, it's not the best idea you really want to be just kind of in this neutral to somewhat elevated position and you gotta remember neutral is still halfway elevated right so you know that you're just rotating up and so really it's it's just the upward rotation and as long as you don't feel pinching in your shoulders guess what you're there so I would experiment I would see what cues make you feel the most stable in your handstand and, you know, first you want to start with the balance point thing. You need to know where, and w- when we talk about the balance point, that's where the weight's centered. It's not the place that you're trying to balance from. You know, it's just where, if everything was reduced to one place, where would that weight be? So it means like, you know, 10% on each finger and maybe like a little bit on the outside of the hand, a little bit on the inside of the hand with the thumb, a little bit on the palm, heel, you know, and it's all distributed everywhere, but the center, mathematically is right there kind of under the wrist and um from there you just line your body up your body is going to be in the position it needs to be in from there if you have to push up a little uh you know through the shoulders that's fine it's everybody's built differently they feel it differently they interpret differently they think differently so I don't want to sit there and pigeonhole all the other users into thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not doing what Naderman just said, so I must be wrong. If your handstand is strong and stable, you're doing a good job. Um, That's it. If not, you need to, yeah, maybe you do need to push up a little more. Not because there's something better about it. It's just that relative to somebody else, they don't think they're pushing up more, but they are. So maybe you have to focus on that for a little bit. And after a couple of months, you realize, you know, I just don't feel as like I'm pushing up as hard, but I'm still in the same position that I was when I was pushing hard. You just got stronger. You know, you got used to it. Now you're experiencing it more like those other people do. And all of a sudden, you know, if you, when you reflect on that, you realize, oh, OK, I was just in a different place back then. So that's it. I mean, if it helps you, then sure, I think you should push more. Um, if it doesn't help you, then I don't think that you should.
0: All right, moving on to the next question by Alexander Igabuk. There he is again. Uh, hey, hey. I, hey, hey, man. If I want to spend a little time trying to increase my 1RM in dips while at the same time still progressing my normal hypertrophy slash strength training... How would one go about doing that? I tested my one RM one year one year back with a sixty-five kilo, which is around eighty percent of my body weight, but have not practiced dips since then. I don't. I personally don't see why you should ever do one RMs if you're not competing one RMs. That's my personal opinion. Uh, I used to do them in the past because it was like, well, look at this. But nowadays, I'm more impressed by doing like a five RM or like an eight RM. Maybe because I'm older now. But I, I I feel like it interferes too much with your um, training. It's just a waste of time. You're fatiguing yourself mm-hmm. for no reason. Yeah, it's not. Well, it's a. Well, one gonna thing I'll say you. is this.
1: Let's say that for whatever reason, uh, somebody is in Alex's position and they've spent the year doing all this other stuff. One, your one, one your one RM has gone up for sure, hundred percent. Um. Mm-hmm the but if you want to prove it to yourself then your dip might be your horizontal press for the purposes of the strength cycle the peaking cycle rather that people are going yes. into you know for the first group is in now and um do i think that it is the the best way to do things in terms of long term benefit no but that doesn't always matter if you have something that means something to you and you say you know what I want to spend that's eight true. weeks easing myself in just to prove to myself that I've done this or I'm used to bragging about this. <coughs> I want to know how much it's gone up. Then you know you spend eight to 12 weeks in a proper peaking cycle for that lift. You just have to dial the yes. other things for upper body back so you don't interfere. That's what you
0: do. That, that's the more most important uh, part. If if you're going to do it, you know, do it in a cycle that's made for it. Don't do it uh, while... Doing your hypertrophy training or strength training, just right. plan for it. Right. Plan for it. Don't don't let it interfere. Um. And that's why. And also, uh, it's it brings up another question. How often do you want to do a peaking cycle if you don't compete? Which is a whole question on its never. own. Uh, exactly. So a peaking cycle it's on fun. its own is a unless it's fun, and yeah. <laughs> um and I'll have to say it's really fun. It really is, and I'll probably end up doing uh that. Probably somewhere next year or at the end of this year, depending on my injuries. But uh, the, the, it all always comes down to the long term thing. And if you, and like Josh mentioned, if you like doing that, you should do it, but just do it when it's appropriate. That's the most important right. thing. And um, that's it. Moving on to the next question. By the way, I'm yeah, going to do well, one arms. <laughs> don't like when I do my one arm. don't get mad at me. But I won't do them in my hypertrophy <laughs> or mass cycle, yeah, so, or yeah. uh, or strength cycle. So don't get mad at me when I do them, okay? because I also, you know, I, I want to check it also every now and then. Yeah,
1: pe- people want to know, and you know, when you do it, you got to be smart. Remember, it's not a competition. There's no prize <laughs> waiting for you when you've already pushed hard and you try to push a little harder. Just be happy it's with also some risky. Progress. Yeah, it's also it risky. Is. Uh, the, Those every one RM is a chance. Tears.
0: Exactly, and and there's also a thing like a true 1RM where you actually push yourself to that limit and where you barely make it and your body's like so stressed from that you mm-hmm. actually have to recover for weeks. Yeah. And then there's a 1RM where you just try it out and you're like... It's more like yeah. a 95% of 1RM. Yeah, it's only and I, a I, there's, a, there's a Exactly, and there's a huge difference between those two uh, fatigue-wise. Yeah. Like, it's huge. Uh, so I would always never do an actual true one-RM if you're not competing no. at a high level. That's that's yeah. what I say.
1: The true one-RM does a lot more damage than you realize. It's
0: and it's only 5% difference with the, an actual one-RM and it's if huge. That. that 5% matters a lot.
1: Yeah, a lot of times it's <laughs> le- in real strong people it's less than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Seriously. Like yeah, and and that's the thing, you know. So that's I, I would just go for a comfortable single that is like, you know, an 8 or a 9 out of 10 effort. and um, Which is, that's hard. Yeah, like, that's so hard. You, just, you don't hit 10 out of 10. And, um, and be happy. Don't keep trying to repeat it. Don't do it again for like another year. Like, give yourself the time to, to uh, <coughs> develop, you know?
0: Yeah. All right, that brings me to the next question by Maro Gomez Olveras. I'm currently doing the 4-day strength cycle including back squats and deadlifts. During the 3rd week, I'm only going to be able to train from Monday to Thursday. Should mm-hmm. I try doing everything to try to do everything in 4 consecutive days or should I repeat that week later on or something mm-hmm. else? I think you it's can fine. Do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Like
1: you might you might be a little fatigued. It's okay.
0: You know, it, you know it's nothing you, you just terrible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you may fine. find worry that, about it,
1: um, yeah, that's that's kind of the bottom
0: line. That's is, that's basically it's, it's the cool. answer. Don't worry about it. Just do it. It's cool.
1: Yeah, and if, if you find like on that third or fourth workout or whatever that, um, you know, you're still, you feel a little weaker <coughs> that day, like on the, on the third and the fourth days, then uh, either take a little more rest between the sets or break the sets apart a little bit so that you're using the same weight for the same total reps. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just, just treat. But other, other than that, this.
0: it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to the last question. We uh sort of did a sprint right there. <laughs> Stephen Soil. he's actually um Stephen He's actually one of the uh, consultant guys I'm doing, and mm-hmm. he came up with this question during one of the consults, and we both agreed that it's a better question for the podcast. And it's uh <laughs> it's this question: I'm a regular blood donor. I donate mm-hmm. every three months and sometimes more regularly due to hemochromatosis, which is iron overload. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. I do suffer from fatigue in the first few days after the donation, after the donation, which affects my training, but in the long term, would muscle growth and strength gain be affected by the regular loss of blood?
1: No. No, it will not. Won't matter at all. <laughs> I'm serious. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I I'm don't, just, yeah. It's, it's, I'm not, that, I'm not used like to That's like one use. of the rare... Those are one of the <laughs> yeah. rare yes or no answers. <laughs> and um, is, it, it, no. is it because First it's... Off, yeah. dude is a hero. You yeah. have no idea how much blood gets used every day. And one of the cool things... I don't know what other countries do this, but I found out recently that Sweden, when you donate blood, I'm sure you have to let them do this, but um, they will send you a text message or an email or something... Anytime one of the units of your blood gets used so that you know that you just saved somebody.
0: That's so dope. Isn't it? That's, That's one of so the coolest cool. things I've ever heard
1: in my life. That is
0: badass. <laughs> like every, like imagine Steven because he does it every three months. He's like, oh, saved another life. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so dope. Yeah, you probably saved a it lot is. of well, lives, man. he's saving man.
1: two lives. He's saving his life and he's <laughs> saving somebody In that else. case, yeah. But
0: he's saving a lot of lives, man, if he's been doing yeah. this for years. Yeah. Well, oh, that's it man that's the uh, the rap that's we we did it we answered every question once again We
1: have a uh, um we have a good question actually that just popped up 44 minutes ago like during the podcast on the lab um
0: on the reddit lab
1: Yeah yeah I just randomly went there there's one thing I wanted to bring up there's a couple of things uh, but um boss batman um Oh there yeah Yeah cool guy um He's just getting started with us, and he's saying, "I don't understand age based muscle loss. I've heard that men over the age of thirty <coughs> lose one percent of muscle mass per year, and that number increases to two percent after the age forty um he's trying to fi- he's 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 really new to a lot of this stuff, and uh he's just trying to figure out like he's learning a lot and um you know, so he's asking a lot of questions on there, and uh you know he's getting answers." And um, some of the things that are popping around from other users are great. Some are a little questionable and that's normal. That's just how internet conversation goes and everybody learns from it. So his question is really interesting. So the short version is that um, it doesn't have to happen. You know, sarcopenia is our, is a word that is just used. (coughs) It just means that your muscle mass wastes away. What it means is that when you're in your twenties, Even if you don't work out all that much, your muscle mass doesn't really change a whole lot. The truth is that after puberty, it slowly starts going down. If you really look at the graphs, it is a steady downward slope after the age of like 16 to 20, depending on when you stop uh, puberty. It's just that uh, after the age of 40, the slope changes and becomes a little steeper. You lose a little more. some say that that's like a hormonal thing. I'm not sure that's totally true. I think it's more of a uh, neurological thing. Our body is pruning neural connections our entire lives. What you don't use, you really do lose. And, um, and, so, and the same thing is true for muscle mass. When you're working out, you keep it, and, um, and it can grow. And when you stop working out, it starts fading away, and after a certain point, um, it can go bye-bye. And what happens in later life is that our body starts pruning... Some of, So you have the same number of muscle fibers, but instead of having like three nerves responsible for controlling like a hundred muscle fibers, one of those nerve cells kind of gets cut off for reasons we don't totally understand. And now there's only two, and that makes old people a little jerkier. It makes them harder to control uh, fine motions. And... um it does not happen if you keep using those nerves. So when you're sedentary and you don't work out and you don't practice anything, you don't play sports, you know, you're know, you not really using those skills, and then you try and do them again for the first time 30 years later, they're, they're very degenerated and there's only so much you can get back. But if you maintain your entire life and you just keep working out and keep doing stuff, they don't really go away until the, your 60s or 70s, and it's much, much slower. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of the thing is that, uh, and and there's a lot going on there. Part of it is nutritional stuff too. We know that as we age, we start becoming a little more resistant to the anabolic effects of low dose, um, leucine. And so protein dose per meal becomes a little more important. Um, you know, there's new research showing that like senior citizens should be getting at least 1.5 grams of protein per kilo per day. Same thing for pregnant women, Um, interestingly enough. And, uh, you know, this is not going to be in guidelines for 10 or 20 years, I'm sure. It takes a long time for that to change. Um, So, but that's that's kind of what what we're looking at, is that, like, you know, for Boss, because he's 48, I would say that, you know, he should absolutely be making sure that the vast majority of his protein intake happens in doses of at least 30 grams. and. you know, that's where supplements become important. He also is doing the right things. He's working out. And you know, the cool thing is there's new research that just came out. I want to say it was a couple months ago that uh, showed pretty conclusively that even if you never worked out until your 40s, that you can still make awesome, awesome gains. And that, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, it doesn't matter what age, that um, you are still going to have a great response and that the health benefits... Are seem to be more or less identical to the benefits that come from exercising your entire life. So oh. there is, n- yeah, that's that's the new part. The muscle okay, stuff is old. Dad,
0: things. time to work out.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's funny. Like my dad's been getting around the farm. He gets out for like hours every day, making piles of sticks and like clearing land and stuff. He's eighty-seven. He looks, I mean, like ten years younger. He he really looks fantastic. And he feels better. He's mentally much sharper. Like, it's, it's amazing. It's really been a blessing in disguise, you know, to, to be where we're at. And that's a lot of why I put up with, uh, you know, my inherent life difficulties is that there's a lot that you don't see and it's not always worth talking about. But, uh, you know, uh, there are reasons why I put myself through what I do. And that's one of them, you know. Me and my mom really worked their asses off, and uh, they they went without for many years to make sure that me and my sister had um, what we need and what we wanted. And uh, you know, I feel like he deserves to be in a place where he can thrive, not just a place that gives him medication three times a day, you know, and has a little garden in a square courtyard that's fifty feet across. And um, I think that all those nursing facilities are really fantastic. They're a hell of a lot better than dying alone on the toilet in, you know, whoever's house. But, uh, you know, when I, I have the ability to give him something that is really uh, impossible to do on an institutional level, and uh, so I do, and it makes my life a lot harder, and that's totally cool. Uh, all right, there man. was one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it let's, going let's a little longer. But there, there was uh, I'm I'm pulling my Reddit up and going to my messages because there was a really neat. Um,
0: Should we maybe save that for the next?
1: Well, I mean, you can chop this up. Mm-hmm. I don't really care. Uh, there was somebody asked something that doesn't matter. Um, uh, something, something. Stuff from Bass. Uh... Okay, this is one. Let's see. This one I'll have to do in a separate um, podcast. It's it's a lot of specific stuff. That's, that's about what I'm saying. Coming that's, out this... of a shoulder injury, and I just don't have the energy to do it well.
0: Yeah. Let's just wrap it up, man.
1: Else. But I think we're in a good spot.
0: Yeah, we have like we're at 90 minutes almost, so it's like the longest podcast so far. So let's just wrap it up. Sound good? Yeah?
1: Yeah, man. Well, we addressed right. a lot of stuff. Some of them were very like <laughs> nebulous complex questions.
0: Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. That was another podcast number six. And uh, you know, keep sending your questions in and we'll keep answering them. And we'll see you on the next podcast. Later. Thanks for listening, people. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember, there are plenty more podcasts on www.labcofitness.com. And remember, if you want to submit questions, that's the place to do it. See you next time.